you will, you must pass NCLEX. There is a way to study for NCLEX and I'm gonna show you how it's done by focusing on the core content. Get out your downloadable workbooks. All of the information comes from my NCLEX virtual trainer. This is the best resource I have ever created to help nursing students pass the NCLEX. And during this event, we are dropping the price because we want you to get in the VT and get your nursing license. So get out your downloadable workbooks. This is going to be an amazing class. I can't wait for you to get your license this year. If you're nervous or feeling anxious about anything or particularly in NCLEX, listen guys, we got you covered. Here at Remar Review, we believe in putting faith over fear. Join the Remar Nurse family in petitioning God for your physical, mental, and even spiritual needs. And of course, you can ask him, please God, help me pass NCLEX. Because listen, he cares about you. God has your back. You can, you will, you must pass NCLEX. All you have to do is ask. My name is Rosie Gaines. I just want to let you guys know that I took my NCLEX RN and I passed. I used the NCLEX virtual trainer from Regina with the quick facts. A few days before the exam, um, I rewatched all of her videos. I know it's crazy, but I like having everything fresh in my mind. If I can do it, so can you. As Regina says, we can, we will, and we must pass NCLEX, okay? Bye. You can, you will, you must pass NCLEX. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our second class here at Remar Nurse University. This is going to be an amazing class. I have great content to share tonight. But before we begin, as always, you want to make sure you have out your downloadable PDF workbook to take notes because tonight there will be a lot of note taking. We are talking about pain management uh -huh, and also psychiatric medications. And you will also get a look inside of my virtual trainer watching the substance abuse lecture. This class is a preview of what it's like to experience a full NCLEX review with me. So I'm so, again, excited and I hope that you enjoy it. Let's go ahead and get into it. Did you know that NCLEX is changing. This is the hottest topic right now when it comes to getting your license in nursing. NCLEX is changing and so you have to be ready to pass the exam now or be ready for these changes. And I'm going to tell you about the changes every week during Remar Nurse University. I want to start off by reading a medical disclaimer. Educational material in this video is meant to promote the general understanding and dialogue of pharmacology for nursing students. For patients and individuals, such information is not to be a substitute for professional, medical, therapeutic, or healthcare advice or counseling for medical issues or concerns, including decisions about medications and other treatments. Viewers should always consult their physician or in serious cases, seek immediate 
assistance from emergency personnel. Now, we are going to start our review of pharmacology with the subject of pain management. And what's interesting about pain is that it involves what? What system did we study last week? Pain involves the nervous system, yes. So usually when you're feeling pain, there is some sort of tissue damage that is being done. And so the nerve endings are responding to that experience. So you see how everything is all connected in the end. And that's why it's so important to focus on our anatomy whenever we talk about pharmacology. So we're talking about pain. We know that involves the nervous system. So I want to dissect the different types of pain and then also medications to treat the pain. So, all right. So there are two types of pain. Okay. There are two divisions of pain and it is important to know, um, acute versus chronic pain. Okay. Cause those are the two that we're talking about. So filling your chart there with the terms acute and chronic and these pains are they're significant to know the difference because the, the way you manage them sometimes is very different, okay? So let's just focus on um, the onset. Do you know the difference between the onset of acute pain and the onset of chronic pain? Let's look at it. So as the chart reflects here, when we're talking about acute pain, it is something that happens suddenly, okay? Something that happens suddenly and it's typically unexpected, right? Whereas chronic pain is a, a sensory experience that continues to be felt, all right? It continues to be felt. So the onset, very sudden for acute pain, the onset for chronic pain, there is a long duration of it. Now, the characteristics. If we are talking about how does pain feel? How would your patient describe it to you? For acute pain, the patient's going to say, "Well, it's it's sharp." Okay? They're they're going it, to it's well characterized. So they're going to say it's sharp. It's right here. They can point to it. Whereas chronic pain what is the sensation? It's a, it's, a, it's a dull pain. It's aching. Sometimes we'll call it dumb. It's just a dumb pain, right? It, it's persistent. It doesn't go away, but you, you, you learn to live with it. Okay, this is chronic pain. If we're looking at, well, how long does it last? How long are we expecting it to last? For the acute pain, it should be very short-lived. This is a pain that is temporary, hopefully, right? Because it's, it's so sharp, it's so sudden, it hurts. Um, so this is a temporary pain that it disappears once the, the cause or the stimulus is removed. So if your patient has acute pain because there's a knife involved itself, Okay, so we're expecting a sharp pain. All right, just like um, you know, if you get a if you get a tooth, you have a tooth abscess, right? And and that pain is really bad in the tooth. Well, once we provide antibiotics or you get the tooth out, then that pain goes away. Whereas 
chronic pain, usually, usually longer than six months. And, and some, um, some, and some uh, resources say three to six months. Okay. So six months I have here, but if you see a reference and it says three months, then that is, uh, that's okay as well. All right. And so what I, what I want us to think about, and I'll go back to the slide in a second, but what I want us to think about is that typically pain is an indication of a change in your body. And we experience this sensation of pain on many, many levels, right? So for example, like when you put your socks on in the morning, when you put socks on your feet, do you feel, do you feel the socks on your feet when you first put them on? Absolutely. But how long do you feel those socks? Right? So like 20 minutes later, are you still feeling your socks? No, you shouldn't be. You know, at the end of the day, are you still feeling your socks? No, you forget that you have them on. It's the same with shoes. You, sh you forget that you have shoes on because your body adjusts to the stimulus, right? And so that's what the nervous system allows us to do. It allows us to be in new environments, but still being able to maintain. So when we talk about a patient with chronic pain, the stimulus may not even be there anymore, but the patient still experiences the pain. So you get it when, when you have patients with, you know, knee injuries or back injuries, you know, if you look at them, there's nothing wrong with them, but the stimulus of pain still remains. So this chronic pain is something that needs to be treated. Something needs to be done for this patient. So I have here on the next slide, um, just some critical thinking about pain since you guys understand now the different types of pain. So here are the critical thinking questions that are on your workbook here. So the first says, which type of pain increases autonomic nervous system activity? Okay, so between acute or chronic, which one increases that fight or flight, okay, that we learned last week? Which one in, in, increases that fight or flight stimulus? All right, do you have that answer? I'm going to reveal it in a second. The second question that I asked you guys to think about, think about is which type of pain serves as a protection? So our answers for this are the type of pain that increases autonomic nervous system activity is absolutely acute. That sharp, sudden pain is gonna put your nervous system in a, hey, what is happening? What do we need to get away from? We need to flight or we need to fight because we're hurting, right? Which type of pain serves as a protective function? Again, that's going to be acute pain. Acute pain is going to protect you in dangerous situations. You touch a stove, it's hot, you're going to feel that pain so you won't keep your hands on a hot um, appliance. And then the third, which type of pain can cause depression? Oh, that's that chronic pain that, that, that we learn to live with, but it really affects whether we can enjoy our life. And so depression comes about as a result of it. All right. So critical thinking for pain management. So now that we talked about um, actually the, the, the types of pain, the functions of the pain, let's talk about how we 
manage them, particularly for NCLEX. What I'm focusing on is telling you guys the top learning, okay, the top learning objectives for the most frequently seen pain management, all right, on NCLEX. So the divisions that I broke these medications down to are, um, well, the first one is this, is over-the-counter. So over-the-counter medications are what we're going to start with. And these medications are, they're, they're considered safe and effective for the general public. That means you can go into a grocery store and get these medications without a doctor's prescription because there is enough trust in an, in an adult to take them appropriately. All right. So that is the idea of over-the-counter medications, but because you don't need a doctor's order for them, we have to do a lot of teaching. So one of the first and most popular over-the-counter medications that I got to talk about um, is found in over 200 products. So the teaching is very important is the acetafetamin review. Okay. This medication, I mean, everybody who has taken this medication, <laughs> just just type, I take it, I take it, I take it, right? Some people take it, you know, we take it regularly. We give it to our children. We feel very comfortable with acetafetamin, but there are some things you need to know about it, all right? For instance, there is a limit that you can take of this medication, all right. So for adults, the daily maximum is four grams. And for children, it's weight based, like a lot of things with kids. Right. It's based on your age. It's based on your weight. So um, what I found was 75 milligrams per kilogram for children. OK. And that is the daily maximum of this medication. All right. Now, my notes, of course, is Tylenol. We're talking about pain management. So Tylenol is used to treat mild to moderate pain. Now, the adverse effects, I think, is the most important point when it comes to acetafetamine. And I see the most questions on, uh, for NCLEX on this point is that acetafetamine can cause liver failure. Okay, it can cause an acute liver failure in your patient if there is too much taken. It literally overwhelms the liver's ability to process it. All right, so we are going to kind of structure the rest of our teaching about acetafenamine around this liver failure um, that can happen. And so I have some questions to just kind of guide your studying when you look at acetafenamine again about how do we get out of this complication of hepatotoxicity. All right, some of my nursing students, if you're uh, not very far off in school, hepatotoxicity means it is damaging to the liver, okay? It's damaging to the liver. So we're gonna talk about it, and I want you guys who are closer to taking your NCLEX, I want you to think about it. If a medication is hepatotoxic, what do you have to do for your patient, all right? So the question is here, can hemodialysis be used as a treatment in acetafetamine toxicity, okay? And think about it. We're talking about liver toxicity. So can we use dialysis as a treatment 
for liver toxicity. What do you guys think? What do you guys say? All right. The answer is no, 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 no. Okay. We cannot use hemodialysis. We cannot use peritoneal dialysis. Know the difference between those two, but they do not remove toxins in the liver. Okay. They do not remove toxins in the liver. So if NCLEX gives you this as an option, mm -mm -mm, not going to help our patient who overdosed on acetafedamine, not going to help them. So what is the appropriate treatment? Did anybody look it up? Did anybody anticipate that being a, a question for tonight? So the acetafedamine toxicity treatment actually uh, is two medications that you can give, and they're, they're dependent on time, of course. So if you find the patient you know, or if the patient tells you, uh, you know, that they've taken a large amount of acetafedamine, you can give activated charcoal, okay, within two hours of the um, ingestion of the medication, okay? So activated charcoal within two hours. Most of the time when I'm doing NCLEX questions about this particular medication, I see in acetylcysteine as the antidote, okay? So that can be given within eight hours. And this is, it seems to be more reasonable to the presentation of a client who has this Tylenol or acetafedamine overdose. So um, this, the first option, depending on time, is activated charcoal. If not, definitely have um, in acetylcysteine in your arsenal of knowledge, all right? The third question that I have is, um, in a client who dies due to acetafedamine overdose, what is the major cause of death? What do you guys think? What do you guys think will be the major cause of death? It's not really that much of a stretch, but the answer is going to be liver failure. Yes, if it's not treated right away, then um, between four days and two weeks, your client can expire. So it's something that you want to get treated immediately. And it's something that we want to warn our patients about. Particularly, um, I think we, we need to particularly warn our pediatric clients, our teenage clients, because the medication is flavored. And so it doesn't seem so harmful when it tastes like, you know, cherries or strawberries, and so children, if left alone with this medication, surely can take too much of it, all right? The, the next medication is an over-the-counter medication that I wanna talk about. It is very common. We learn about it in our beginning pharmacology classes. We may even be introduced to it in MedSurge, but it is the NSAID, right? The non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And I'm throwing in aspirin in here as well to present as a way to control pain that patients can buy very readily. Now, I do have to do a bit of an anatomy review and I didn't leave room, to, I didn't leave room for it on your workbook. So you can... Um, take notes, or you can just listen however you want to do it. But just remember that in our body, 
the the reason that we have inflammation and pain and fever are prostaglandins. Do you guys remember that term, prostaglandins? And so these prostaglandins, they move all over the body and wherever there's a site of injury or there's any kind of virus or any kind of abnormalities, the prostaglandins show up to cause that inflammation and pain. So there are different classes of these NSAIDs, and I have here different medications, so you don't have to write them all down, but I just want you guys to understand that there's different classes of NSAIDs because they work on different areas of the body um, to reduce the effects of the prostaglandins, okay? So check out prostaglandins if you have a moment. Um, I don't expect it to be on NCLEX, but it is important to know anatomy related to pharmacology. So aspirin, ibuprofen, um, Keterolac, these are all different types of NSAIDs that you have here. Please do not have this list memorized. I don't want you guys to memorize this list of NSAID classifications. I do want you to understand. I do want you to understand, though, um, the adverse effects as well as the reason why people are taking them and the reason why there's so many of them. That is the point here. So we're going to fill out our chart, the maximum dose, the NCLEX notes, and then adverse effects of NSAID medications as well. All right. So the maximum dosage for adults, again, it's 6,000 milligrams. For children, it was difficult for me to find that dosage because of the weight, uh, the weight-based protocols. But for NCLEX, it is important to understand that NSAIDs produce gastric ulcers and bleeding, right? I read a reference that said all NSAIDs will do this. So it is important to stop the use of regular NSAIDs before surgery. Also, remember that if a woman is in her third trimester of pregnancy, okay, we're just doing a review here. If a woman is in her third trimester of pregnancy, then we also need to discourage the use of NSAIDs because guess what? During labor, you tend to lose a lot of blood. You tend to lose a lot of blood. So the adverse effects for the NSAIDs are going to be cardiovascular issues. So you can have, um, you know, risk for bleeding, right? Risk for stroke. You also have a rise syndrome or rise syndrome. Okay. Nephrotoxicity, nephrotoxicity and hyperventilation. So write those down if you didn't get those. All right. Write those down if you didn't get those. We're live. We got it. You guys got that? Did you guys get those notes? Okay. We are doing this. All right. Let's focus on this information. We are going to leave here with it today. Okay. All right. You guys got it. So we got cardiovascular, rise syndrome, bleeding, nephrotoxicity, and hyperventilation. Okay. All right. Okay. Here we go. Um, so the question was here, is there a risk of physical dependence or abuse with long-term NSAID use? The answer to that, what do you guys think? 
Is there a risk of physical dependence or abuse with long-term NSAID use? It is going to be, put it up on the screen. <laughs> All right, we're jumping in here live. All right, yes, I, listen, we're, we're ready for it. All right, we are ready. The answer is no, 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 no. Aspirin does not affect the central nervous system. So you won't have that desire. You won't have that, you know, ability to crave the inset or the Tylenol. It's the same thing as well. These don't affect the um, central nervous system. So the drug interactions for aspirin. And these are just really quick references to if NCLEX says your patient is taking aspirin regularly, a low dose daily, whatever. If you mix it with diuretics, it's going to cause some issues. Okay. So it is going to decrease the diuresis of your patient. All right. And we know diuresis means we want to get the water off the patient. So that is significant. You will definitely have to find a way to work around that. Okay. Beta blockers and ACE inhibitors come after the diuretics. Um, anticoagulants and aspirin really should not be paired together as they both do the same things. So it's going to increase the GI bleeding. Okay. Okay. That goes next. Um, so with the cardiovascular medications, an aspirin will decrease their effectiveness. It will decrease their effectiveness of that. All right. Shout out to you guys. All right. Over a thousand on YouTube, over a thousand guys are sticking in here, hanging with us. I appreciate it. Sulfonarias. We are going to talk about these uh, when we go over the insulins next week as well. But if you give your client a sulfonaria, it can increase the risk of hypoglycemia. Yeah, it can increase the risk of hypoglycemia. And of course, alcohol increases the risk of bleeding. Alcohol thins out the blood as well. So um, if you didn't know that, I think it's really cool to be aware of this education. Be aware of all this education that is regarding just one medication. Okay, I'm going to move on to the next slide. I hope you guys got all of that. Okay, I hope you guys got all of that. Remember this, you're filling out your workbooks. All, all non-opioids have a ceiling effect. Have you, are you guys familiar with that term, a ceiling effect? So that essentially means that there is a maximum. There is a maximum amount that you can give where after you give this certain dose, there is no more, there is no more pain relief coming. There is nothing else beneficial that's going to happen to your patient in terms of effectiveness, okay? And so it's called a ceiling effect, all right? That's what that means. It means you can only give so much of this medication and then after that, it won't be effective anymore. Okay, so we got that. So we are talking about a restraining of a dosage for a medication. 
All right. We're talking about it straightening. So now what we're going to get into, we got into the over the counter medications that you don't need prescription for. Now let's talk about, let's talk about, hey, the prescribed pain medications. All right. Particularly looking at number one, the opioids, the opioids and opioids, you guys know, hey, if you have acute pain, the opioids are going to work best for them. Okay. So number one is opioids. They do work really well for acute pain. Shout out to all my international nurses. Hey, um, that are watching this Saudi Arabia here. That's amazing. Okay. All right. So when we're talking about opioids, I would like to, I would like to, um, break them down into two categories. Um, the, the weak and the strong. Okay. The weak and the strong. And so these are the different generic names of opioids. Okay. These are the different generic names of opioids. So a weak opioid um, is codeine. Okay. It's less potent than morphine. Um, and so it is considered something that you give for a very low level of pain. Actually, um, you don't see it given too much. Sometimes they will put it in cough syrup, but not even really in the same way anymore. For our strong opioids, for our strong opioids, we have here morphine, hydromorphone, okay? We have fentanyl, okay? Um, hydromorphone, just going back to it, it is one of the most, um, pres it's one of the most prescribed, it's one of the most prescribed medications. Fentanyl, oxycodone, meperidine, and methadone, all right? Um, these are considered our strong opioids. All right. So um, we want to avoid meperidine. We want to avoid meperidine in the elderly, okay? We don't want to give it. And the reason is because it can cause um, seizures, in the elderly patient. So just avoid it if possible. That always comes up as a contraindication. Okay. All right. So those are the difference between the weak opioids and those are the difference between the strong opioids. All right. And we're going to talk about what you, what you need to watch out for in terms of long-term use for NCLEX. Remember, they're going to give you the generic names they're going to give you the gen generic names of it, all right? The generic names. So make sure that you are studying those, okay? Make sure that you are studying the generic names. And again, the paradigm is usually given for gallbladder pain, but we want to avoid it. We want to avoid it in the elderly, Okay, we want to avoid it in the elderly. So the question is, the question is this. Um, what is, what is considered the gold standard for 
what is considered the gold standard for opioids, okay? And that is going to be morphine. So essentially that means that all other opioids are judged or are compared to morphine, okay? It is the one that we give in the emergency room the most, right? It's the first one, okay? So I am wanting you guys to remember that, 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 that for your NCLEX exam. Now let's look at the routes that we give our opioids. We can give an opioid, we can give an opioid orally, nasally, we can give it epidurally, okay? So in, in maternity and labor, okay? Also intravenously, of course, very common, very common. Many of you have probably given it in nursing school, um, you know, with your preceptor there. We can also give our opioids rectally. <laughs> All right, Hades in the house, Hades stand up. Love international nurses here. Um, transdermal, transdermal fentanyl. Yes, 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 yes. All right. Absolutely. You can give it transdermally. Okay. All right. Um, the adverse effect of any opioid administration, huge for your nursing exams, your NCLEX exams, all right, is going to be that respiratory depression, okay? Respiratory depression. And also constipation. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys read old nursing, old med surge, old, you know, just the history of some things, but um, they used to give opioids for diarrhea. Yeah. Morphine used to be used to treat diarrhea because it will cause you to become constipated. But of course, the, the, the regular use of morphine is way, uh, way more extreme than a client with diarrhea. So there was other ways to be used for that. And the antidote is naloxone. You guys have to know the antidote for that opioid prescription, okay? Because the respiratory depression is so severe, so severe. Okay, so write down naloxone, know about it. You guys know what it's for. Um, I'll, let's see, yes. <laughs> you guys know what it's for. It's a reversal agent for opioids, uh-huh. Okay, I got all the international international nurses now <laughs> shouting out, shouting out each other. Love the Remar community here. All right, all right. So my um, my clients here, we're talking about opioid use. So of course, clients are at risk for addiction, physical dependence and tolerance. And I want you to write this down and then I'm gonna try to explain it a little bit, put it on myself, get slides up for you guys to support this. Clients are at risk for addiction, physical dependence, 
and tolerance, okay? Here we go. Okay, now, 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 remember that addiction and the physical dependence are not the same, okay? Remember that addiction and physical dependence are not the same at all, okay? Now, 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 now. Hey, I want, can somebody, I need somebody to tell the class because the next box, I need somebody to tell the class because the next box says here, hey guys, the next box says here, what is the difference between an addiction and a physical dependence? Because my point for NCLEX was they are not the same. Addiction is something and then physical dependence is something else. Does anybody know what the difference is between those two? All right. Um, and this is this this is actually a psychiatric concept, but you see that we can find it here in pharmacology. And so that's why the content is so important to study. Okay, so does anybody have it? What's the difference between, somebody says, oh, I thought it was the same thing. Um, so what is the difference between the addiction? Is that go? No. Okay, what is the difference between the addiction and the physical dependence? Okay, so um, Marissa says you are unable to function without the med. Addiction is taking it despite of obvious complications. Okay, all right. So you guys are you guys are on it. Addiction is mental. All right, I, I like it. I like it. This is what I love to see. Participation in class. I'm reading the comments. Uh, your body needs it. Habitual dependency. Okay. So yeah, you guys kind of have it. Addiction is you take it no matter you need it or not. So, okay, perfect. So when you talk about addiction, it's psychological, right? It's it's the, the, the mental relationship that you develop with the drug, the craving for it, right? You think about it all the time. You're taking it despite of negative consequences, right? So the addiction is the psychological relationship, the, the, the taking it despite negative consequences. All right. So no, no, I don't, I'm that I'm going to clear it up for you patients in a second. Okay. So that's the addiction. Does that make sense? Let me see if I can find a really good one. Addiction. When you crave, when you crave it, addiction is something you can't live without. Okay. Um, I'm looking for it. Okay. Addiction is when you feel like it. Addiction is you abusing it, the craving. Yes. Okay. Physical dependence is where your body actually changes. Like you, all, you, you see changes in the body. You see, um, you, you see the brain chemicals change. All right, um, and so that is a physical dependence. Your body can't function without it. It doesn't have anything to do with a mental relationship or craving, but you, you literally need it. So I like. Um, to think about it like this, um, when I was in DC, I worked with a lot of patients who were addicted to um, crack cocaine, right? And so I, you know, when they would talk about it during a mission, they would tell me, you're like, oh, I I'm addicted to crack cocaine. Um, I have cravings for it, you know, but I can go days without it. Like I can go weeks without it. Like these are the people that they stop it for a little while and then they crave it. And so it's the craving, that mental relationship that brings it back to them 
right? But then you have people who are addicted to heroin where there's a physical dependence that you got to have it. Like, and it's not a matter of you thinking about it. You know that if I don't take this drug within the next hour, my body is going to start to hurt. I'm going to start to, you know, feel shakes. I'm going to die if I don't take it. And so you have the difference there. Do you guys see the difference there? Like the physical dependence, your body needs it to maintain, you know, a, a homeostasis or normality. So um, here is here, here, here is what I have here. So addic- addiction, my, my notes were the mental and psychological relationship, okay, with a drug, a craving, despite negative consequences. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Okay. And so you have that mental relationship, whereas the physical dependence, your body has responded to that chemical. Your body has responded to that chemical. All right. So withdrawal occurs if you don't have it. And I like that. I mean, I said heroin, but alcohol is a really good one as well, because if you don't have a regular intake of alcohol, then you can go into what? You can have those delirium tremors. You can die. Okay. So yeah, the physical dependence is much more, um, is much more dangerous for your patient. And you even think about it even right now. Well, let me, let me say tolerance really quickly before I make that point. Um, tolerance is just a need for the drug, more of the drug actually, than your original dose to have the same physical effects. So your body adjusts to the stimulation and then it requires more to, um, it requires more to have that same mental release or physical release. And so that's where addiction, that is where addiction happens. Can you have both? Absolutely. Uh, When you talk about addiction, that's a great question. You absolutely can have both. Um, You can have all three of these actually at one time. Okay. And so um, here, so here, when we're talking about, you know, during the coronavirus, during the coronavirus, some of you guys may have saw it, but um, where I live in Ohio, they kept all of the, you know, the alcohol and the liquor stores access to alcohol who are regular drinkers, then that can increase the hospitalization rate of people, you know? And so alcohol can become a stabilizing medication for those who are addicted to it. Yes. And there's, there's functional addicts, there's functional alcoholics, but um, the, the, the idea is that they have to have it in order to maintain their health. All right. So we're talking about here, we're talking about addiction, Physical dependence and tolerance in pharmacology. Yes, 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 yes. So here's the point here, an important notice. Unlike the um, over-the-counter medications, there are no ceiling effects on pure drugs, okay? And so that means there is not a maximum dose you can give and then the medication stops working. No, for pure drugs like opioids, the more you give, the more you're going to feel, okay? So the more medication, the more heroin, heroin is considered an opioid, but um, I didn't list it here because it's not legal to take in the United States. 
uh, but heroin, morphine, what do we say? Fentanyl, I'm looking at my notes. The more, the higher the dose that you give a person, the more pain relief they're going to feel, right? Um, and so the only thing that really limits the amount of uh, uh, opioid that you can give a patient is really respiratory depression. Like, all right, uh, a loss of consciousness because the more you give a patient, the more the body can take, the better they say they'll feel. But at, at some point, your patient experiences a decreased loss of consciousness and respiratory depression. So that's why these medications, when they're not prescribed or when they're abused, are very, very dangerous, okay? Because it's the consequences that limit the dosage. All right, so what a good review of pain management. Let's look at a few questions to kind of reinforce these topics. All right, so the first one is this here. It's on your worksheet if you have it, okay? It's on your worksheet if you have it, and it is this. A 33-year-old, a 33-year-old presents to the emergency. The client has no apparent symptoms and state, I feel fine. Which of the following statements, if made by the client, would require follow-up education? So which statement is wrong concerning acetophetamine? Is it number one? I may begin to feel dizzy and have diarrhea. Two, I will be given the medication, acetocysteine. Three, my blood will be drawn to elevate prolonged bleeding time. Or four, my liver and kidney function will be monitored, okay? Which medication will need some teaching? Which medication will need some teaching? What say if you guys here, okay? And this is kind of a tricky one only because um, I kind of slid in. I, I, I don't want to say it. I want to see what you guys picked. What, what do you guys think? What do you guys think here? Okay. All right. Um, I see what answers am I seeing? One. Okay, uh, one, four, twos, all different kinds of answers here, huh? Okay, all right, I'm gonna reveal the correct answer here and then we can chat about it, all right? All right, so the correct answer, the, um, the statement made by the client that would need follow-up education is simply number three. Because remember, hey, this is ask, this is um this is acetophetamine, not aspirin. So aspirin is what will increase the bleeding time. But I never told you guys that acetophetamine is going to um it's acetaminophen. Acetaminophen, that's what it is. Um, is going to increase the uh, bleeding time of your patient. All right. And so number three is incorrect. So shout out to Shout out to everybody that caught my little distractor. You may not feel, you know, too bad right after you take acetaminophen, but, um, you know, you might feel that um, that complication a little bit later on. So client may have dizziness, may have uh, diarrhea, right? Um, acetylcysteine is the correct antidote. So that would be given to your patient. Yeah, that would be given to your patient. 
And then um, liver and kidney function absolutely would be monitored uh, for sure, okay? Because we know that acetaminophen can cause hepatotoxicity, all right? Okay, good job, everybody. Let's check out another question here. This one is uh, select all that apply. So it says this, it says, a client is being followed by a multidisciplinary team. Which of the following is the most appropriate action of the client? Select all that apply. Okay, so one or more answers can be correct here. Number one, inform the occupational therapy of low-dose aspirin to avoid the session. Okay, two, inform the dentist of low-dose aspirin therapy before any dental procedure. Three, inform the dietitian of low-dose aspirin therapy before starting a low-carbohydrate diet. Four, inform the surgeon of low-dose aspirin therapy before any elective surgery. Or five, inform the art therapist of low-dose aspirin therapy before working with acrylic paints, okay? Now, remember, you have to get this perfect, okay? Perfect, perfect, perfect in order to get it right for NCLEX. So even if you have one off, the entire thing is wrong right now. All right, so let me show you the correct answers. The correct answers are, pow, just two and four. Congratulations to those of you who got that one right. <laughs> All right. Congratulations to the ones who got it right, all right? Because we know that, remember, aspirin therapy increases your risk of bleeding. So if you have any surgery planned, you are going to have to put a pause on that, okay? You have to put a pause on it until, um, you know, your body can process out all of that aspirin, all right? So the other things, uh, you can do your occupational therapy. Um, you don't. You can take a low-carbohydrate diet. Uh, you can work with acrylic paints. I just kind of made that up, um, you know? <laughs> so if you fell for that one, you guys remember, if it doesn't, if you haven't, when it comes to the select all that applies, if you haven't ever seen it before, please don't pick it. Please don't pick it. All right. Because more than likely a person like me just made up the question. All right. All right. Let's do uh, another question here. This is the last question. And then what we have another subject that we have to go over. We're burning the midnight oil tonight. All right. So number three says this. Um, oh, this is a good one, too. Um, a nurse is caring for a child that is opioid naive. What does that mean? The child has just had a below-the-knee amputation. Which of the following should be included in the plan of care? Select all that apply. All right. Number one, start the child's pain medication on an as-needed basis. Two, if the child develops a rash after morphine administration, hold all opioids. Three, administer morphine intravenously 
and acetophetamine orally for pain immediately after surgery. Four, monitor the child for respiratory depression after an opioid, administration of an opioid. Okay. And then five says administering the lowest dose, uh huh, administering the lowest dose for pain relief. Okay, so opioid naive, what are we talking about here, all right? What are we talking about? A child that is opioid naive. If you don't know what that means, I need you to look that up, all right? I'm gonna reveal the right answers. We wanna wait until a child tells us that they're in pain to try to control a fresh surgical amputation. No, 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 no. We need to have that pain medication scheduled so we can stay on top of the pain because you guys know that the pain is going to be there, all right? Two, the reason why two was not right is because it had one of those words in it and that word was all, okay? And so it says, if a child develops a rash after morphine, hold all opioids. What? There's so many different types of opioids. There's so many types of alternative to pain relief. Why would we hold all of them? Okay. Why would we hold all of them when the patient may be able to take, hey, they may be able to take hydromorphone. They may be able to take hydrocodone. They may be able to take fentanyl. We have so many other options that morphine does not, um, does not, it is not the same family as everything else, okay? All right, so you guys know, you guys know that there are patients that come in, okay? <laughs> you guys know that there are patients that come into the hospital and say, I am allergic to morphine, I'm allergic to fentanyl, I'm allergic to um, uh, anything else, all I can take is, so um, you guys got to be very, very mindful. You guys got to be very, very mindful of that. All right. Number three, um, the reason why number three is wrong is because we don't give, we don't give, all right, we don't give intravenous pain medication and oral pain medication at the same time. What am I giving the patient morphine and Tylenol? Oh, I'm sorry acetaminophen. I got to get back into my NCLEX brain. What am I giving a patient acetaminophen for? What is that acetaminophen doing when there's already morphine on board IV? Not a thing, not one thing. All right. <laughs> but harming my patient's liver probably. So we got to think, okay, we got to think we're not going to give both of them together. All right. And so these are, these are the little tricky things that can make NCLEX questions very difficult because they are requiring you to think a little bit, all right? They are requiring you to really just critically think, do I really need to give an IV pain medication and an oral pain medication right after surgery? Probably not. No, I'm not gonna do that. So four and five, okay? Four and five, um, and I like that point too that you made, Teodora. you don't give oral medications right after surgery. All right, yeah, we don't, we don't, I don't really, you know, that's not probably a great thing too. All right, so four and five, we do need to monitor for respiratory depression. All right, we do need to monitor um, 
for giving the lowest dose possible. Okay, are we ready for the next topic? Okay, I need everybody to take a deep breath because we're about to roll into these psych medications. And if this is your first time um, reviewing a psych medication, you haven't had the class before or you have had the class and you just still don't understand it, be prepared to, to receive a lot of information, take a lot of notes, but also, all right, take a deep breath because I promise you, we're going to get through this together. And I need somebody to say a prayer that we don't have any kind of technical issues <laughs> during this, all right? We, we don't have any kind of technical issues, all right? So psychiatric medications, uh, we're going to get into next. You will see, you will see that it will incorporate a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, it will incorporate a lot of critical thinking about laboratory values, side effects, and also treatments. So we're going to go in, um, if you're looking at your notes, filling in the worksheet, all right? Filling in the worksheet, we're going to talk about three classes. We're going to talk about three classes of the psychiatric medication. Talk about three classes of the psychiatric medications here. And um, the first class, what you put on line A. Okay, so what you put here, we're going to talk about the three classes. Um, and so they are going to be your, and you can write it right next to it, uh, right next to this. We're going to talk about mood stabilizers. We're going to talk about antidepressants. And we are going to talk about antipsychotics, okay? All right, and this will give you a very good base to continue on your studying. Or if you're in the virtual trainer already, these, sh these three classes should look very familiar to you, okay? These three classes should look very familiar to you, but I may be focusing on different medications than in the virtual trainer, okay? All right, so... Let's move, let's move on to the first mood stabilizer that we're going to talk about, all right, which is this. It is the best. It is the oldest mood stabilizer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Been using it since the 70s, I think. Um, it is lithium, okay? Lithium. No, people have probably been using lithium since before the 70s. I'm just trying to think. Lithium. I know they used to put it in 7-Up. They used to put it in the soda 7-Up. So lithium is going to be the first mood stabilizer. So I have two questions there. Um, it is, is it fast acting or slow acting? And what electrolyte do we watch with lithium? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the slide to that here. All right. So when you're talking about lithium... It is a slow acting, all right? It is slow acting. And so it takes about two to three weeks to work. Mm -hmm. And yes, you guys know it. You guys know this, that you got to watch sodium with it. But I put here, I put here that um, the therapeutic level of lithium you know, you can look at different references, but it's about 0 0.6 to 1.2, okay? 0 0.6 to 1.2. And you can see how very close those two numbers are, okay? You see how very close those two numbers are. So lithium has a very narrow, narrow therapeutic range. 
when, when a client is taking it. Okay. Okay. Um, and then sodium is the electrolyte. Sodium is the electrolyte that you need to watch because when sodium is low, then the potency of lithium in the bloodstream increases. Yeah. So lithium can become very toxic in your system there. All right. Okay. So my NCLEX teaching point about lithium that I want you guys to remember is this, and that is that lithium is not addictive. Okay. So it's not something that clients will have a craving for if they do take it or they don't take it. Okay. But like a lot of psychiatric medications, like a lot of psychiatric medications, lithium has a treatment partner because because, because, because it doesn't work very fast, you need to give something, you need to give something that will for your patient, all right? You need to give something that will stabilize their mood quickly until your lithium begins to work. And so that is about proic acid. That treatment partner to lithium is valproic acid. Have you guys heard of that before? You know what that is? Okay, so everybody in their mind right now should be saying, yes, I know, or no, I don't know, but I'm interested to find out, <laughs> okay? All right, so um, let's talk a little bit about number two, which is valproic acid. Now, um, and keep it real. I love when people keep it real and say, you know what? No, I don't. All right, um, valproic acid is a mood stabilizer, okay? It's a mood stabilizer. It's an anticonvulsant. And it also can treat migraine headaches. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is what you can start a patient on. Okay. All right. This is what you can start a patient on. All right. So people says, all right, used to treat seizures. Okay, cool. All right, so we're filling in the blanks there. Valproic acid is a mood stabilizer, anticonvulsant, and it can also treat migraine headaches. All right, all right. So the question is, if we're talking about it in regard to, is it fast acting or slow acting? Hey, and then also how do you give it? What is the administration protocol, the administration technique? All right, so. It is, I'm going to just tell you guys, it is fast acting, all right? So when I show you guys, so put it down, fast acting for the answer there. And I just realized that I didn't put it up here. Um, but it is fast acting, okay? Valproic acid is fast acting. And then the administration, you need to take it with food, okay? Take it with food and it can cause hepatotoxicity. Okay, it's just like acetaminophen. It can cause hepatotoxicity. And also you don't want to give it, you don't want to give it during pregnancy. 
Okay, you don't want to give this during pregnancy because um, it's linked to spinal um, spina bifida. All right, it's linked to spina bifida, neurotube defects like that. All right, so those are the points that I want you to write down. It is fast acting, even though I didn't put it on the screen up there. It is fast acting. Um, you take it with food. It can cause liver damage. And you do not give it during pregnancy. Okay. And then there I have the normal dosage is between um, 50 to 100 micrograms per milliliter. Okay. And you don't necessarily have to, um, I'm sorry, that is the uh, therapeutic range. I'm sorry, that's the therapeutic range of what you normally will see. Okay. Okay. All right. I would like to move on. I would like to move on everyone to our next class. All right. Oh, wait, my, I'm sorry. I have one more. The NCLEX teaching point for valproic acid is that, again, it's non-habit forming, non-habit forming, and it is so you won't have any cravings for this one as well. So these are positives for using a lithium or a valproic acid over a benzodiazepine. Okay, which I talk about in the uh, virtual trainer, because with the benzodiazepines, you guys know they do cause you to have um, some addictive. Uh, they do have you cause you to have some addictive properties. Again, valproic acid, like its treatment partner, is non-addictive. Okay, if you guys have the VT here. In this workbook where I go over the electrolytes, then I go more over into lithium and also um, the treatments for it and what it's related to. In this worksheet here, we go over um, lithium more in detail because lithium is also an electrolyte because it ends in IUM, like sodium, potassium, magnesium, lithium. So it falls under that category. Okay. All right, the second, the second class of medications that I'm going over tonight is the antidepressants. Oh my goodness. These ones, um, these ones are one of, um, I think the most difficult to try to navigate through if you have not had a lecture for it because um, it's, it's kind of difficult to hone in on the antidepressant teachings. So the first one that I want to get into, um, the first one that I want to get into, you may have heard of them before. These are the MAOIs, okay? All right, so the monamine oxidase inhibitors. And you know what? Before I get into this, let me, um, I just want to, let me set it up for you guys who are not sure about antidepressants, okay? So um, just really quickly, and I promise I'll go back to the slides. The antidepressant is a continued state of sadness or hopelessness where our patients, they don't have any pleasure in doing things, right? So when you're depressed, you cannot, you cannot find any motivation to go about your daily life. And so normally we have chemicals in our body like, um, 
serotonin or dopamine. Are these familiar to you guys? Serotonin, dopamine, um, even, you know, epinephrine, norepinephrine, these things help you stay up. They help you stay happy, right? We have serotonin in your blood. You feel like you're in love, right? But the body does not want you to constantly feel like you're in love. So when dopamine or serotonin is released, the body takes it away very quickly because you can't walk around, you know, on a high all day long. It's not safe. You'll get into dangerous things. You'll forget to eat. So the body breaks these things down really quickly. So when we talk about an antidepressant, the way they work is they allow the dopamine, the serotonin, um, the epinephrine to stay into your body longer. All right. So that's what we're going to be talking about when we talk about antidepressants. They actually are working on chemicals inside of your body to keep you happy. All right. So that's my setup again. All right. So this is my setup for MAOIs. So when we talk about a monamine oxidase inhibitor, what it is doing, it is inhibiting the dopamine, epinephrine and serotonin reuptake. OK, so. Um, it is, it is inhibiting the breakdown of dopamine, epinephrine, and serotonin, all right? So add that word in there, inhibits the breakdown of dopamine, epinephrine, and serotonin. And I apologize, I left that word breakdown out of this slide here. So that's how the MAOIs work, okay? That is how the MAOIs work. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So that's how they work. Now, the um, the the MAOIs that you need to know are there. Okay. Isocarboxazid. Phenolzine. And you have tranisipromine. Okay. These are the names that you need to know. These are the generic names. They're MAOIs. They help you hold on to dopamine, epinephrine, and serotonin longer. Okay. And this is a this is a major class of an antidepressant. These are fairly common for your NCLEX exam, but the safety points that, that clients have to be educated on are going to be that if you mix these, okay, if you mix these medications with certain foods, okay, if you mix these medications with certain foods, your patient will have a blood pressure so high, they will have a stroke, okay? They have a, a hypertensive crisis. And tonight, I'm not going to go into all the different food groups. If you have the virtual trainer, again, I break all that down. But tonight, I really just want you to focus on understanding how these medications work and what is the safety criteria for administration. So as you can imagine, MAOIs are not very popular because there's a lot of food you can't eat with them. And people, you know, they, you're already depressed and now you have to worry about your diet every day. No, 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 no. Okay. All right. 
So I'm going to move it on to the next group of antidepressants. This is one. This is one group. We're going to talk about three groups. All right. So the next group is going to be. Let me see if I have the slide right before I show it to you guys. Okay. The next group is going to be the SSNRIs. Okay. Okay, so the SSNRIs. Now, this is a new one. So if you have the virtual trainer, I do want you to add this to your virtual trainer notes. All right, this medication, these medications that I'm going to tell you, they actually, they actually um, block, they actually block the, um, the reuptake of, they actually block the reuptake of serotonin and norepinephrine, okay? They actually block the reuptake of serotonin and norepinephrine. So these two as well, they help you have, they help you stay happy. Hey, they help keep you in the state of love and peace and rest. So they allow um, these two to stay into your body longer. And so you have here um, phenlaxacine, all right? And you have duloxetine, all right? All right. Now, 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 with these SSNRIs, You have a suicidal risk for clients who are under the age of 25, okay? And so um, anytime antidepressants are introduced to children, you can definitely have a suicidal risk, okay? okay. All right. Also, I put the risk for each medication. So for the phenlaxophene, you have a risk for hypertension. And the duloxetine, you have a risk for liver failure, okay, when you're also administering these two. So please add these two to your... Um, Please add these two to your notes here in the pharmacology workbook and also as well to your um, virtual trainer notes in the, in the antidepressant section as well. All right. So there's one more. There is one more antidepressant that is a major class that you need to know. Okay. There is one more antidepressant that, in, that you have to know, and it is going to be the SSRIs. You guys know them. We, we talk about them in detail. Usually when I do any kind of NCLEX review, <laughs> I go over SSRIs, and these are the um, selective serotonin, sorry, it's reuptake, reuptake inhibitors, all right? Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So write that down. Somebody write that down for me so people can put that on there. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And so what they do, this is the first choice for SSRIs. They, um, they, block, they block the 
reuptake of serotonin. All right, they block the reuptake of serotonin. So that means that you're happier longer, right? You're happier longer. Yes, and if you have the Quick Facts book, I also go over SSRIs in the pharmacology section in the back of the Quick Facts book as well, okay? Um, so the drugs there that you need to know, fluoxetine, cytolopram, and ceridoline are SSRIs. Yes. Okay. And again, those generic names can be difficult, but make flashcards, familiarize yourself with them for sure. Okay. Also, 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 the safety points with SSRIs, there is a suicide risk in clients under 25. And we don't give SSRIs with St. John's Wart, okay? We don't give SSRIs with St. John's Wart as well. We talked about that because um, they, that can cause serotonin syndrome. So we actually went over that when we talked about the herbal medications last week. And then really um, another point is that you don't ever give these SSRIs with MAOIs either, right? You don't ever mix, you don't ever mix two major class of antidepressants together. So you never would give an MAOI and an SSRI together, or you would never to wait at least two weeks before starting that next class of antidepressants, okay? All right, so remember, I see you guys posting the trade names please remember to post the generic names of these medications. You gotta know these ones, they're more difficult, I know, but you gotta, you gotta study these for the exam, all right, for the NCLEX. Okay, all right, so are we clear on that? So just, okay, so we went over, so we went over the, uh, we went over the mood stabilizers. We went over the antidepressants. There's one more class that we need to go over, and these are the antipsychotics. So the antipsychotics are going to treat those people who have a disconnection to reality. They believe that they are the president. They hear voices. They, you know, they feel spiders crawling over them. So what medications do we give these clients? That's what we're going to get into right now. Okay. So we're talking here about the antipsychotics and let's write this down here. Okay. C is antipsychotics. The antipsychotic medications are called neuroleptics. Okay. And I'll explain this in a second. Um, but, you know, one of the most challenging parts of psych medications are just these terminologies. So, neuroleptics are used for the treatment of schizophrenia, okay, which is an altered perception of reality and other types of psychosis, okay? So here, 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 antipsychotics are also called a, a different name. Have you heard of this term neuroleptics before? Are you familiar with it? All right. So neuroleptics can refer to, it can refer to movements, right? It can refer to 
movements that are created because of these medications, all right? Um, it, it also can be referred to the fact that um, neuroleptics are used to treat delusions, right? Hallucinations, paranoia, all right? So it, it is a reference to a condition of a patient. Does that make sense? So sometimes I say teachers want to be fancy and they'll say, okay, we're going to talk about antipsychotics today. And then they'll say, these neuroleptics, all right, these neuroleptics. And so students are like, what? What happened? What happened to antipsychotics, right? <laughs> all right. So they mean the same thing. Okay, so now that we know that, now that we know that, I want you to remember, I want you to remember this, okay? The antipsychotic medications don't eliminate the disorder. When you talk about um, schizophrenia, when you talk about other um, psychoses, they are lifelong conditions, Okay, they are lifelong conditions. All right. So we're we're talking about how we're going to control the symptoms. We're talking about how we're going to control the symptoms. Okay. All right. All right. Now, let's go over the two classes of antipsychotics, okay? And there's just two, but there's a lot of information within those two. So the first class, and I promise, guys, I know it's getting late, but we're gonna, um, we're gonna keep on pushing through and I'm gonna try to wrap this up quickly. So the first class of antipsychotics is called typical, okay? They are typical. Now they have another name, which is first, generation. So again, we have here uh, a multiple names for the same thing. Okay. And this is another reason why psych drugs can be so complicated because they could be called typical antipsychotics. These are the ones that were started in the 1950s, or they could be called first generation. These are the ones that were started in the 1950s, the same thing. All right. Just different names. Okay, so we're going to start with the typical first, typical, typical, typical. All right. Um, and so the examples that you need to know, haloperidol, compazine, stelazine, promethazine. Okay. All right. And so what I'm trying to do is set a good foundation for you guys so that when you study this with me in the virtual trainer, or even if you try to read it on your own, you'll be able to have a better understanding, okay? All right, so, um, so again, the typical antipsychotics are known for causing these involuntary muscle spasms. All right. And so that's why patients don't like to take this medication because it'll cause the muscle spasms. It'll cause the tardive dyskinesia. It'll cause the dystonia or the pseudoparkinson's. OK, 
these are the worst side effects. I mean, in some people, when you think about tardive dyskinesia, you know, the patient with tardive dyskinesia cannot sit still. They're moving all around. They're rocking back and forth. You know, um, they're smacking their mouth constantly. And so patients really have to think, well, are my delusions that bad? They're not so bad that I want to deal with this. And so they stop taking their medications. So that's why you see a lot of homeless people. You know, they are they're on the streets. They're talking to themselves. They rather have that. than the tardive dyskinesia. OK. All right. OK. Um, and yes, you might. That's a good question. Promethazine can be used for other things, um, but it, it, it falls into the category of an antipsychotic. OK. All right. So the treatment that you can give for um, tardive dyskinesia to lessen it is benztropine. It is not at all like a cure for it, but it helps to decrease it. However, we have to teach our patients, like even if you have this tardive dyskinesia, guess what? Guess what? It is expected and it's either you have the tardive dyskinesia or you have the delusions and hallucinations. All right. So patients really have to make a choice. All right. If they want to be on a typical antipsychotic. Okay. All right. Now, 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 can I move on to the next dose? Do we have any questions about the typical antipsychotics? What, what you need to know is um, they're also called first generation. You need to know the examples and you need to know what to monitor the patient for. All right. All right. And remember, it's the generic names that we need to know for NCLEX. There are no trade names on this exam, on the RN or the PN. Okay. On the RN or the PN exam. Now, let's move on. Okay. Let's move on. Let's move on. All right. And I, that's a great question, Aaron. Aaron said, why do we give, why would we give, and um, you know, a medication that would cause tardive dyskinesia? Why do we give it? All right. And I guess the question, the, the and so right now there really isn't, I mean, we're going to talk about the next class of um, antipsychotics, but you will see that class also has its own issues. And so since the 50s, this has been the staple of how we treat patients with schizophrenia. Um, and the idea is that the tardive dyskinesia is more, um, more beneficial than the schizophrenic patient that harms himself or harms another person or, um, you know, is unable to function because their delusions and hallucinations or has to be, you know, mentally or, you know, physically confined to a location. And so you have to really look at, um, do we offer this as a treatment or do we allow our psychotic patient to remain, you know, untreated, you know, and expect that patient to carry on, uh, you know, a normal life? Is it even possible? And so right now, the benefits outweigh the risks, okay? 
That's a great question, though. Um, and I think we have to be very compassionate to our psychiatric patients, knowing that this is what they have to go through. OK. All right. Now, let's go on to the second class of antipsychotics and then um, we'll wrap it up here. This will be the last one. This is the this is the second generation. OK, this is this. This is the second generation. And so we call it atypical. We call it a. These are the solutions to the tardive dyskinesia because they don't cause tardive dyskinesia. Hey, so you have here. Um, what I have my notes. Um, clonazepine, olazepine, risperidone, aripiprazole, and so you may have seen, you may have seen some of these on TV, right? Um, you may have seen some of these on TV lately because, hey, they're the newest thing. They're the second generation. They'll treat your schizophrenia without any, without any tardive dyskinesia, but they will cause a granulocytosis. Hmm. What is that? What is a granulocytosis? Does anybody know? All my virtual trainer nurses, you better put it down right now because I know you know, okay? And they can cause other things too, right? But I, I want to I focus on this one because this one is the most threatening, right? So if you have the VT, you got the in-depth notes, all right? I know you know the rest of it, but um, a granulocytosis. So what is that? What is it? Okay, you see it in the second generation antipsychotics. A granulocytosis is, it's a life-threatening condition. Yes, it's, it's life-threatening. It is the dangerously low white blood cell count. Yes, so these, oh my goodness, these second generation, these atypical antipsychotics will strip your patient's immune system. All right. They'll strip your patient's immune system. They will have no immune system. All right. How does that sound for, um, you know, a regular life being able to go out? Oh, no, 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 no. OK. And so this is a medical emergency because, of course, I mean, think about the complications. If you don't have if you don't have any white blood cell count, you know, what can you give? Take you out. And so now you have to think, okay, do I want to take, these are the choices that my patient have. Do I want to take a typical antipsychotic and have the rocking back and forth and, you know, head moving all the time? Or do I want this atypical where I could, you know, have cardiovascular diseases. I could have, you know, septicemia. I could die of a, a routine infection. And so these are the choices these are the choices that our psychiatric patients have. These are the choices that we put in front of them, right? And these are the choices that the board exam expects you to be able to educate a patient on. And so patients will say, okay, do I take the red pill or do I take the blue pill? And then they say, you know what? I'm not taking any of it. I'm just gonna keep my schizophrenia. And so that's why mental illness is so hard to treat because the medications, uh, you know, quite frankly, they suck. And so if your patient develops this, a granulocytosis, 
then they have to stop the medication, okay? All right, they have to stop the medication that they've been prescribed on. They probably have to go on, uh, you know, antibiotics. I don't know what kind, it depends on the infection, but the broad spectrum antibiotics, which can also be, you know, damaging to the ears, damaging to the, to the liver, to the kidneys, uh, hospitalization, using if you're not given a proper perspective on actually how they work, okay? If, if you're not given a proper perspective. So yes, congratulations to you guys, because now you will never forget. <laughs> you will never forget the difference and you won't be able to be confused on your NCLEX. All right, I wanna point out something to you guys. So at the bottom of your worksheet, it says agent for reverse, antidote for reversal. That was talking about the tardive dyskinesia. And so you have the answer there, benztropine. Okay, so at the bottom of page 24, antidote for reversal is benztropine. I believe this is in QuickFox. It's underneath the psychiatric medications. But I know I made so many updates to this um, five-star version. Make sure you have the five-star version that um, I always have to reference it just so I don't misspeak. So if you have, um, just really quickly, if you do have the five-star quick facts, the psychiatric section is very well developed and it goes over um, all of the medications that we went over tonight, the MAOIs, the contraindications. I list here the foods at the bottom that you can't have. Also, um, I go over lithium. I go over the phenothiazines, which are typical antipsychotics. So those of you who were saying, um, I thought, Promethazine was for nausea, compazine. Um, that's where you would find them, uh, an explanation of them as well. And then first generation and atypical and also the TV drugs that you need to know for NCLEX as well. Okay. All right. Okay. So moving on now we are at, is there any questions about that? Make sure. Okay, so now we are going to go over the questions here at the end of this segment, all right? So, um, oh, here's my pro tip. <laughs> okay, here's my pro tip. Yes, so we covered the content. I just want you guys to see the pattern. We do content first, and then we do questions, all right? So remember, never study just the questions. It is so much more beneficial to actually review the content first and then and then go over questions okay so it is uh, um it's it's kind of a myth that you need to do like a hundred questions a day no 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 you need to make sure that you study that content first because yes because the content is going to help you get these questions right so imagine i mean just imagine if i was asking you guys questions about first generation antipsychotics, and you had no idea what that even meant, all right? And I know some question banks will do that. They'll just start asking all these random questions without reviewing the content. And so it's not helpful if you need to know the, the content, all right? So here's my first question. All right, here we go. First question is this. The nurse is caring for a client who is scheduled to have valproic acid we know what that is, initiated at noon. Which question is the most important for the nurse to ask? Come on, guys. Number one, when is the last time you had a seizure? 
Two, when was your last meal? Three, have you ever taken this medication in the past? Or four, are you on birth control pills? Okay, we reviewed this. We reviewed this. Here we go. Okay. Okay. Which one is the most important? And I want you guys to get this right because, oh my goodness. I want you guys to get this right because I gave you the answer. Notes. Okay. <laughs> hey. Mm. Okay. All right. So we have here the answer to the question is I want to are y'all ready for me to reveal it to you? Okay. The answer to the question is number four. It's number four. Okay. It is number four because we know that this medication, right? We know that this medication can cause harm to fetuses. And so you cannot get pregnant. All right. You cannot get pregnant while you're on this medication. All right. Um, and so if they're they're not taking the birth control pill, we need to know what kind of birth control is in place before you begin taking this medication. Does that make sense? All right. Because with the meals, we can I mean, we can give it with food. We can give it with food. We don't even have to ask that. That's not, um, you know, that's something we can just do when we bring it in. Oh, <laughs> so I said, oh, I forgot that. Yes. All right. So for NCLEX, for NCLEX, you got to think safety. And boy, oh boy, boy, oh boy, that pregnant client, she is something else. You got to, you got to watch out for her. All right. All right. So here we go. All right. Did you guys got that now? Can we go on? You won't, you won't miss that though. You won't miss that one if you get it on NCLEX. You won't miss that one. All right. All right. Here we go. Next question. Here we go. A client is taking a monamine oxidase inhibitor. You know that one. The client has a blood pressure of 184 over 122. The client is otherwise asymptomatic. Okay. Antihypertensive drug for healthcare provider to order a full body diagnostic scan. Okay. All right. Now listen. Hey, 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 hey. All right. Listen, you got tricked on the last one. Not this one, though. And if you watch Monday's Motivation last week, I did this one on Monday Motivation. Shout out to Monday Motivation. All right. Shout out to Monday Motivation watchers. Every Monday I go on live at noon to do NCLEX questions. So this was like a, pre a pre preview. Okay, so the correct answer, the first thing the nurse should do, I think you guys got this one. It was a little easy, right? All right. Um, the first answer is going to be, hey, it's number three. Absolutely. Your patient is going to have a big problem if you don't do something soon. 
All right. So you got to prepare to administer the antihypertensive drug. The reason why this is the correct answer is because it is the most direct to address the client's issue. Number one, not to many people pick number one, but number one, assess the client for organ damage. What does that even mean? Well, what does that even look like here? Okay. Two says assess for tardive dyskinesia. You guys know we're not looking for tardive dyskinesia and the antidepressants. The MAOIs won't have it. We study and we study tardive dyskinesia for the antipsychotics, the, the, the typical ones. All right. So um, that's not going to that's not going to cut it. And then four says request the client uh, request a full body. Okay. Request the full body scan. Okay. No. Uh. Uh. All right. So the correct answer is number three. Number three. All right. Let's do one more. Um. Hmm. Let's do one more here. And it's this. It's number three here. It says. Um. It says here a client is prescribed duloxetine. Whew. Aren't you glad we went over that? <laughs> Which client statement is most concerning to the nurse? Okay. Number one, I feel constipated after taking a dose. Two, I can stop taking this when I feel better. Three, I will continue to take my insulin for type 1 diabetes mellitus. Four, I had a glass of beer with dinner. Okay. All right. What kind of what kind of medication is duloxetine, and what are we most worried about here? Okay. What are we most worried about here? Okay. Uh, rolling, rolling, rolling these answers on in. Okay. Ooh, I think people get it down to two. So I put two on here. <laughs> I put two on here that I said, okay, they're going to get stuck between these two. And I want to know which one they're going to go with. And so I know you guys probably got it down to two or four. So which one is it? Which one is it? Go with your first mind, please. Please, please, please. <laughs> All right. Uh, two or four. And this is where um, NCLEX gets difficult because you can always, you can always, you know, meter out, hey, some of them are just, some of them just don't make sense. It's just like when you're taking the exam, you'll be able to quickly say these ones don't go. But then you get down to the two and you got to pick the one that focuses on patient safety. Okay. That's all I want to tell you about this exam. Okay. The correct answer is going to be, it's going to be four. Okay. It's going to be four. Four, this client is drinking what? This client is drinking alcohol. The client is drinking alcohol. Alcohol and antidepressants, they don't go together. 
they don't go together. Okay. All right. And also you guys know that this SS NRI has a risk for what? Liver failure. When you get to these types of questions where it says, what is the most concerning to the nurse? Okay. So that means, that means that yes, that means yes, several of these answers can be applicable. Seven of these, several of these answers can apply, but what is the most concerning to you? So you have to be able to pick um, the hierarchy. You have to be able to have the hierarchy of safety. Okay, so what would happen if a person stopped taking an antidepressant uh, when they feel better? Okay, what's going to happen to that patient? Are they going to possibly fall into depression? Again, they can absolutely fall back into their depression. What else? What, what, what are the other implications of somebody abruptly stopping to take this SSNRI? What could it be? Okay. And then on the other hand, you have the patient saying, I'm drinking this beer with, you know, with dinner. I'm drinking, you know, what, what if I would have said, it says, uh, I'm drinking wine. I'm drinking vodka. You know, um, I'm drinking Cavassier, you know, with my medication. What are the implications of that? All right. So now you have a big you, you have a big issue with the patient, right? You have them taking alcohol. You have them taking an antidepressant. They're mixing it together, okay? And so you guys have, uh, you have to be able to prioritize or create a hierarchy of safety protocol for these patients. Okay? That's why we study the content first. This would have been even harder if you didn't know what the medication was. When it comes to passing NCLEX, you can do it. You can learn it. We did it. We did it tonight. So you guys, we got through it despite the challenges. You guys hung in there with me. We did our antidepressants. So yes, we're gonna go over the substance abuse, which is the same in the um, in the virtual trainer. And you want a preview of what it will be like. And so um, while we have a minute for interlude, just wanna run over this. Remember with the virtual trainer, I really would want you guys to look at the study calendar that is in your file vault because it will help you to incorporate quick facts and the virtual trainer together. Um, there is a lot of information in the book quick facts and then there's a lot of information here. And so what I did in the study calendar was I tried to show you guys how you can study both of these together. Okay. How you can study both of these together and it will make um, the process a lot Faster. We have people that have studied the virtual trainer in three weeks and, and have gotten their license. I wrote the program for it to be a six-week program. But if you follow the calendar, you're only studying four days a week. If you are studying more, <laughs> more than four days a week, you can certainly get through this in a lot more time, okay? Um, you love the quick facts. Great. And yes, yeah, somebody said, if you want to get the five-star quick facts, um, if you want to get the five-star quick facts, then definitely go to the Remar nurse website. And so this is where you'll get um, the pharmacology and things like that. But if you go to remarnurse.com, it's, it's on sale today for $20 for this book. All right. But also if you get the virtual trainer package, this comes along with it as well too. Okay.
So let's go into the virtual trainer right now and let's do our um, substance abuse preview. Okay? Yeah. So I'm going to take you inside of our virtual trainer, just like I promised. So I have taken a page out of our NCLEX virtual trainer student workbook and put it in your downloadable workbook. So when we go inside the virtual trainer, you will be able to see what it's like to study with the full comprehensive NCLEX review. You can get this program done in three to six weeks. So I'm telling you guys, it is going to be a fantastic opportunity to get your nursing license. Let's check it out. Welcome to your substance abuse overview. My name is Regina Callion. <laughs> I'm just joking. You guys know who I am by now. We're getting into substance abuse. Now, substance abuse is the continued use of a substance to alter a patient's mood, emotion, or state of consciousness. And that it's not medically necessary for the client to take that substance. They're taking it out of a habitual habit. Substance abuse can be chronic and addiction is considered a mental illness. There are certain substances that are abused, such as marijuana, which is the most common, alcohol, anabolic steroids, narcotics, and stimulants. Out of the list that I gave, I want to focus on two forms of substance abuse that NCLEX likes to hone in on. The first one is alcoholism. Alcoholism is the excessive consumption and dependence on alcoholic beverages. The signs of alcoholism are daily drinking patterns that typically start early in the morning. When a client consumes alcohol, despite the negative effects on relationships, jobs, family, also blackouts, hiding alcohol from others are signs of alcohol addiction or dependence. Most alcoholics, when they're confronted about their addiction, are in denial and they rationalize their drinking patterns. The withdrawal symptoms that are important is that clients will have anxiety. Okay, They will have tremors. There will be nausea and vomiting as well as sleeplessness. Delirium tremors are an extreme, an extreme withdrawal symptoms. So with delirium and tremors, you will have the tremors, the physical shaking, but also there will be vital signs increased. Hallucinations, and this can be auditory or visual, um, the client becomes paranoid. Delirium tremors usually are seen between 12 to 36 hours after the last drink. 
there are also two other symptoms of alcohol addiction that you need to know for the exam. The first one is called Wernicke's syndrome, which is basically encephalopathy. And that is a fancy medical word for brain damage. And when you drink too much alcohol, you can have brain damage due to a thiamine deficiency. So alcoholics, because they normally have poor nutrition, poor eating habits, they have a thiamine deficiency. So the thiamine deficiency, it will cause brain damage. Korsakoff psychosis is amnesia that is also associated with the thiamine deficiency. So NCLEX can say thiamine deficiency or they can say B1 deficiency. But Wernicke syndrome and Korsakoff syndrome are both related to thiamine. So how do we treat alcohol addiction for NCLEX RN? Well, there are medications that you want to know. So let's study the medications while we're talking about the disease process as you should. That's how you should study pharmacology. So the medications that we can give to reduce the anxiety, reduce the anxiety are two benzodiazepines. That's the class that they fall under. But the medications are chlorodizepoxide, which is a sedative. Um, the next one is lorazepam, which is also going to act as a sedative and reduce the anxiety of the alcohol withdrawal symptoms. Now, there's another medication that acts as an alcohol deterrent medication. So disulfiram, you can give this and it will help to encourage your patient not to drink alcohol. And the way that disulfiram does that is because if the patient consumes alcohol, they will have this severe side effect and they will begin to be nauseated. They will begin to vomit. The blood pressure will go down. I mean, it will cause a, a reaction that will be so major that the client will not want to drink again. But one of the teaching points about this medication is that not only does it work for drinking alcohol, but also any other form of alcohol that a client may come in contact with. So when you're taking disulfiram, you cannot use hand sanitizer. You cannot use mouthwash, cologne or perfume, um, hair dyes, like anything with alcohol in it will give you that severe reaction. So it is a choice that the client will have to make if they want to have this alcohol deterrent. But NCLEX loves to ask about this medication. Now, here's an NCLEX pro tip for you guys. There are also medications that contain alcohol in them, such as warfarin, phenotin, and amitriptyline. All right. These things will help clients who are addicted to alcohol. Other therapy options are having a non-judgmental attitude and support groups by Alcohol Anonymous. There is no cure for alcoholism, only abstinence. And for your room assignment, patients that are addicted to alcohol or going through alcohol withdrawal can be placed in a shared room with another type of client.
All right, we talked about alcoholism. Let's go over opioid addiction. And when I say opioid, I am talking about heroin, cocaine, morphine, or amphetamines. Let's start off by talking about the room assignment. If you have a patient that's addicted to heroin or cocaine, they can be put in the room. They can have a shared room with another client as long as they're not self-destructive or harmful to that client. When we talk about withdrawal symptoms, the withdrawal symptoms of a narcotic or opioid addict are going to be like flu-like symptoms. So they will have a runny nose, fever, body aches, they will have a disturbed sleep pattern and be agitated. The treatment is going to be really group therapy and counseling. If a medication is given, the medication is methadone. Methadone is another type of narcotic that is legal. Literally, it acts in the same way as heroin. It is just legal. So sometimes clients will exchange the illegal heroin for the legal methadone and they get it dispensed to them under restrictions. So it's used as a substitute to the illegal narcotic drug. Those are the points that you need to know regarding substance abuse. Let's keep going. The NCLEX Virtual Trainer is the best training system for nursing students who need to pass the exam. My name is Regina Callion, MSNRN, and I have helped thousands of nursing students pass the NCLEX exam with my program. You're gonna love it. With my NCLEX review, I'm going to give you all of my nursing content in one place. Not only that, I'm gonna make sure that after every individual lesson, you know what is most important. And if you need questions to help you, I have the questions right here. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you an amazing opportunity to get in the virtual trainer, I'm also going to sing you the virtual trainer student workbook as well as my quick facts for NCLEX. This is it. This is the opportunity that you've been waiting for. Click the link below. This is the number one training system for nursing students who need to pass NCLEX. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Click the link below. We got to get into this question right here. Did you know that NCLEX is changing? Yes, I have been talking about this for weeks now. The NCLEX exam is being redone and you need to pass now or be ready for these changes or be ready for these changes. So the first thing that I want to talk about is what is going to be the reason the NCLEX is changing and how how will those changes be presented? And so the next generation NCLEX, the reason why it was developed to, to make the exam more real. So to strengthen the linkage between the, the test items and clinical judgment. And this is going to be using a clinical judgment model. Now I wanna show you this clinical judgment model because I bet you have never seen it before in nursing school. We have many ways to measure clinical judgment, but this is new. This is actually 
the National Council State Board of Nursing Clinical Judgment Measurement Model. Take a look at it in all its glory. I can honestly say this is one of the most complex, <laughs> you know, in presentation, one of the most complex um, clinical judgment models that I've seen. And, you know, I have to accept it. And you guys who are taking next generation, those of you who have to take it, and then those of you who will put off taking the NCLEX, put it off, and you will end up taking this, you're gonna have to be able to appreciate this. Now, let me just give you some structural layout of this clinical judgment measurement model. There is actually four layers. And so if you look at layer zero, it is a very broad layer. You don't get a lot of information on it. It's basically, okay, what are the client's needs? And then how do I get to the decision of it using some sort of clinical judgment? And then as you go up a layer or down, I guess the way we look at it, you're going to get more specific information into the clinical situation that you will be presented. So for example, when we're looking at the clinical judgment measurement model, let's look at layer three. This is a very important layer because it is going to outline all of the steps that are going to be directly measured, right? So recognizing cues, analyzing cues, these are things that you are going to do that will be part of your clinical judgment um, demonstration. These are things that you're going to do that will determine that you are a safe and competent nurse. And so these different layers, even moving down to layer four, which is an additional um, layer, and, and it just adds more context, more environmental factors, more individual factors that are going to directly affect the presentation of the cues. So um, this, these layers are going to make the NCLEX questions better and more realistic. So get comfortable with this measurement model. And I wanna point out though, that even with the layers and the different action items, the, the nursing process still is a part of this clinical judgment measure model, measurement model. And it is, it's like the foundation of it. We still see that this is a very familiar uh, measurement model because it incorporates these uh, assessment, analysis, planning, implementation, and evaluation. So again, if we are looking at the different layers, layer three, this is considered the action layer of the CJMM clinical judgment measurement model. And then layer four is where the questions, like they say, the questions can get dirty. So this is where you can make them more realistic, right? And so with layer three, the action layers, you are going to have to do these things. And these are the actionable items. Okay. If you didn't see it in the, in the um, CJMM, you're going to be able, you're going to have to recognize cues. You're going to have to analyze cues, right? These are action words. You're going to have to prioritize hypotheses. You're going to have to generate solutions. You will have to take actions. And then you're also going to have to evaluate 
evaluate outcomes, evaluate outcomes. So yes, layer three, a lot about what you are going to be doing. Layer four, layer four, the dirty layer is how we're going to be making our questions better. These are going to be, again, as an overview, adding environmental factors and individual factors. And so listen, again, if you're preparing for the next generation NCLEX, I'm going to explain it. I'm going to break it down to you so that you feel comfortable. Uh, we're going to be working on that uh, more into next year. But if you don't have to take it, right? If you don't have to take it, then don't take it, all right? But the questions are definitely gonna be more realistic. So um, as I introduce the Next Generation NCLEX to you, um, I'm gonna present just a, a sample question type and we're gonna get more into this, the different question types and the different presentations, but I want you to be exposed to what the exam will feel like. And so again, I see a lot of people asking me, Regina, when is this going down? When is the next generation coming? Um, the next generation is coming April, 2023. So here is uh, one of my favorite new presentation types, and this is the highlighting item. And so um, I'm going to ask you guys to prioritize three items that require follow-up by the nurse. And I'm going to give you the question here. And again, you're looking for three items that are gonna require follow-up by the nurse. So here is our, here's our case study. EK is a 39-year-old male. Let me, let me see here, there we go. EK is a 39-year-old male with a diagnosis of erythrocytosis. Hemoglobin hematocrit has trended down from 15.9 to 47.2% to 12.4, 37% with carboxyhemoglobin of 8.8, .8, still elevated. He continues with therapeutic phlebotomy every four weeks and takes aspirin 81 milligrams daily. The client is a current smoker started smoking in 20, 2002, trying to quit, but is having a hard time complying. His latest checks S-ray revealed no acute cardiopulmonary abnormality. The client admits that he is a snorer and was told he possibly has obstructive sleep apnea. The client reports low energy levels, ferritin is 25, the client denies hematuria and melena. Vital signs are temperature 98.3, Fahrenheit, pulse 80, beats per minute, respiration 18, blood pressure 124 over 82, and oxygenation stat at 97%. So if we are reading this client presentation, I'm asking you guys to prioritize three items that require follow-up by the nurse. Three items that require follow-up by the nurse. So this is going to ask you to definitely, let's look at analyzing some of the things that we have in front of us. Okay, all right, let's start with the first one. I don't know if you guys saw this, but number one thing is this 
carboxyhemoglobin of 8.8 still being elevated. Hmm. This is a concern for me. Carboxyhemoglobin is telling me that our patient has some exposure to carbon monoxide. What is going on with this patient? I see that they have erythrocytosis, but what is the cause of this elevation? Did you identify this? All right. This is what you're going to have to do for next generation NCLEX. The second thing is that the client is a current smoker. He started smoking in the year 2002. He's trying to quit, but is having a hard time complying. So that's all one statement. That concerns me because I know that smoking can affect um, the oxygen capacity of your red blood cells. It can affect your oxygenation. So um, if a patient stops smoking, the erythrocytosis will be better. Okay. Another thing that concerns me, the third thing is this. The client admits he is a snorer and was told he possibly has obstructive sleep apnea. So how about this? We need to get a follow-up to make a determination of what is going on with this patient because sleep apnea also affects your oxygenation status. So this is an example of a highlighting item. You need to be able to identify things that are concerning. You need to be able to make hypothesis and and um, with the highlighting scoring rules, just quickly not to go too much into this, but you have a plus minus scoring rule here. So for next generation NCLEX, the items are scored differently depending on what they are. And so with the plus minus scoring rules, points are earned by identifying and selecting correct options. So that is great. If you can select a, a correct answer, you're going to get a point for it. However, with the plus minus um, in contrast or on the opposite side, if you get something wrong, it is going to be subtracted from the things that you did get correctly. So if you, because we have partial credit, if you only identified two of these correctly and the third one that you identified was actually not correct, that is going to take away from um, one of your two correct points. So you would only end up getting a one on this particular um, question. So it is, it is going to definitely be a lot to um, think about when it comes to the next generation NCLEX. So if you have the potential to take and pass NCLEX now, let's do it. But if not, we will continue to prepare for next generation NCLEX. However, I am doing my due diligence. I am encouraging you as your NCLEX instructor right now is the best time and opportunity to take the NCLEX exam and get your nursing license. There is not a better time coming. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you guys, do not waste an opportunity to test now. All right. Um, so if you're able to test now this year, do it. And then let me show you how to do it. Let me show you how to do it and passing your board in the next four to six weeks or less with my NCLEX virtual trainer straight for you. All right, join me for part three next Monday at 8 p.m. during Remar Nurse University. 
So if you are ready to get your nursing license, this is the opportunity. Guys, don't forget, you can, you will, you must pass NCLEX because with God, it's possible. All right. Hey, what are you waiting for? I wanna see you on the inside. This is the opportunity. You don't wanna miss it. If your nursing license is important to you, you will take action right now. Let's click the link, let's go. So yes, this is the opportunity for you to get your license. Hello, good evening, my fellow Remar nurses. I graduated in 2007 back in the Philippines, so that's where I got my BSN. I took the board exam um, last year with um, UWorld, just doing questionnaires, questionnaires, and uh, my results were close to passing and I was devastated. I didn't know um, what to use as a study guide since I've been out of school for so long. Um, so I've tried Kaplan because all my friends that I know and you know, um, they used it. So that was my second um, review and I wasn't confident enough to take that NCLEX. And so I was doing research and found Regina. I'm very happy with it. I love everything about it. Quick facts. I mean, it's hands down. I cannot say anything bad about it because everything is literally here and you can start studying right away. Decided to get into it and to the questionnaires and um, get more updated stuff. So I think it's an investment. Um, that's not bad at all, but you know, thank, re thanks Regina and the whole team for doing this. We really appreciate it. I'll keep you guys- I want to know, thank you guys for rocking with Mark and I uh, until, you know, hours <laughs> to, and to get this information. Again, I am going to um, take some questions that I saw here. Um, when you're in the virtual trainer, let me just say this, you got a preview of the virtual trainer from our perspective, just showing you the video. But when you're inside of the v VT, you have complete control over those videos. So you can speed them up, you can slow them down, you could put in the closed captioning if you want to see every word that I'm saying. So, um, you know, it is your NCLEX review and I want you guys to make it your own. Get in the virtual trainer, learn how to use it for your benefit because we put a lot of features in there that will allow you to retain the information more, okay? So um, we do have another class next week where we will be going over um, all of the insulins and the oral pills. It's in the workbook. Okay, so we're gonna go over insulin and the oral anti-diabetics, and then we're going to go over, that's what it is, TPN. Oh my goodness, TPN. And this is my teacher's guide for this class. And there was so much stuff for TPN, literally. There was so much stuff for TPN that I, could not believe it. Uh, so I'm excited to share with you the studying that I've been doing uh, to contribute to your knowledge. Thank you. Uh, yes, we are going to get right back into it. Remart Arts University continues on next Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, somebody asked, is it possible to do the virtual trainer in two weeks? I suppose anything with God, all things are possible. So let me just start by saying that. With God, all things are possible. Um, but it would require an intensive studying, which you may be into, uh, you know, you may be into that type of thing. I think if you have a strong foundation in nursing, then you could do it in two weeks. I, you have 
90 days when you purchase the virtual trainer. You'll have 90 days in the virtual trainer. We want you guys to understand that there is a right way to study. Let me show you step by step what you need to study. Make the difficult concepts really simple, just like we did tonight, and allow you to be able to test successfully. All right. If you follow the study calendar that I have, I have you studying four days a week about three hours a day. And that was based off of most of my students having lives. I mean, most of you guys are parents or you have jobs or you're, you know, you're busy. So I wanted to make it realistic. It's not realistic to say study every day for five hours a day. Um, I don't think that would be helpful. The books come in a great time, uh, about three days usually to get to you, but you do get instant access to the virtual trainer right away. Okay. Thank you. It's a great program. Um, if you have any specific, if you have any specific like customer service things, please send me an email support at remarreview.com. Um, is, is the VT enough to pass NCLEX? Absolutely. The virtual trainer is enough to pass NCLEX because again, it goes back to, um, knowing the test plan. And so the virtual trainer was created based on the current NCLEX test plan, as well as the current practice analysis for registered nurses and practical nurses. So the things that I go over, I don't like to waste you guys time. I, I really don't. I don't like to waste my own time. So I'm not going to be lecturing on information that nurses are currently not dealing with. I'm not going to be lecturing on nursing diagnoses, you know, because that's not a part of the NCLEX test plan. But I see, a, I do see, you know, where other NCLEX reviews will tell you, you got to be able to pick the right nursing diagnosis. Um, it's just not on the test plan. And so sometimes we end up studying things that are not going to contribute to our success. And I'm all about knowledge, but um, I think that uh, focused knowledge is best for this test. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, um, Anne says uh, the notes, the VT is not a waste of time at all. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, would you recommend getting the VT now if you won't take, if I won't take my test until December? Hmm. Are you in nursing school? Uh, I think that would weigh it. Like for nursing students, I do think the virtual trainer can be extremely beneficial because it will help you with your final year of nursing. Also, virtual trainer has been used by universities for a substitute of online class. That's how cool it is. OK, so we have a, a virtual trainer. We also have a curriculum support as well for our institutions. Um, does the uh, when does the VT cell end? So it will run um, throughout Remar Nurse University. And then you purchase the virtual trainer. What I want you to do is please focus on the virtual trainer because the virtual trainer is a timed program. So finish the virtual trainer. You'll notice that all the questions in the virtual trainer, all the questions in the virtual trainer are different. So focus on the VT, okay? Okay, you guys. So any other questions, I will be available to you via email. Email me, please. My email is support at remarreview.com. I, um, I am ready. I am ready to see your testimonials. I want you to pass. I want you to get started. So Finish your studying in the virtual trainer, okay? And we will do this again next week. We will make sure that you get your information and the classes that you signed up for. All right, yes, international nurses, you can also purchase the virtual trainer. We ship anywhere in the globe. It doesn't matter. We can find you with DHL, all right? All right, so... Um, 
please put the email address up there for people who don't know it. It's support at remarreview.com. All right. Support at remarreview.com. Okay. You guys, we love you so much. We love you so much. Good night. Good night to you guys. Um, and since I answered the questions, we will definitely make sure we will definitely make sure that we are on again. Bye. Hi there. This is nurse Christine coming to you to talk about the Remar virtual trainer. I've used it twice. So I'm a two time Remar nurse. First for my LPN, which I passed in 65 questions in 2020. And now for my RN, which I passed in 75 questions. So I wanna thank Regina, I wanna thank her team. They were very, very helpful, very supportive with getting me re-upped with the virtual trainer for my RN study. I dug out my quick fact book. That book is a book that you should keep for life because it tells you everything that you need to know and it was a great refresher. Also, the Monday Motiv Motivations, that was the best as well. And I loved how in her videos and her live streams, she started it all off with a prayer. As you can see, I have a cross behind me. And like she says, with God, everything is possible and he definitely helped me through it. Another thing that really helped me with them was the anxiety workshop. That helped me identify what type of anxiety I was having regarding this test, as well as how I could help myself calm down and focus because you really need that. So I wanna thank you so much and it's definitely the best $250 that I've spent and I'm so excited. Thank you so much, Remar. The NCLEX Virtual Trainer is the best training system for nursing students who need to pass the exam. My name is Regina Callion, MSN RN, and I have helped thousands of nursing students pass the NCLEX exam with my program. You're gonna love it. With my NCLEX review, I'm going to give you all of my nursing content in one place. Not only that, I'm gonna make sure that after every individual lesson, you know what is most important. And if you need questions to help you, I have the questions right here. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you an amazing opportunity to get in the virtual trainer. I'm also gonna send you the virtual trainer student workbook, as well as my quick facts for NCLEX. This is it. This is the opportunity that you've been waiting for. Click the link below. This is the number one training system for nursing students who need to pass NCLEX. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Click the link below. Hey, what are you waiting for? I want to see you on the inside. This is the opportunity. You don't want to miss it. If your nursing license is important to you, you will take action right now. Let's click the link. Let's go. Got a question for us? Head to RemarNurse.com and let's have a chat or go to the FAQ page for swift answers. You can also email us at support at and we'll be happy to address your NCLEX needs and concerns. Every Monday, Regina offers live and online reviews. Even this live will be available online for your studying purposes. If you're unable to watch the live reviews, you can tune in to Remar Nurse Radio on Spotify, iTunes, 
Apple Podcasts, and more. Don't forget, tag us to your social media. Later, guys. You can, you will, you must pass NCLEX.